This is the Tom Bigby Tales. I'm your host, Shannon Evans. I write about a small community in northeast Mississippi along the Tom Bigby River called Columbus. Today's episode is The Millionaire Murderer. Charles R. Smith, a wealthy, prominent planter and son of a former state legislator from Artesia, Mississippi, was indicted for the January 15, 1909 assault and murder of Eugene A. Laurent, a young traveling salesman from another prominent family from Tennessee. Smith had arrived at the depot in his hat to pick up his daughter as she returned from an outing in Columbus. Thereupon, he murdered Laurent. Smith initially entered a plea of not guilty, and the case was set for trial. Area papers ran with sensationalized versions of what was thought to have happened. The Grenada Sentinel began with, Will the grand jury indict a man who killed another because he know he invaded his house? According to the Grenada account, Smith was tried immediately after the murder by a justice of the peace in Artesia. The scene of the homicide and released on an $8,000 bail. Three days later, Lawrence's three brothers arrived in Columbus and swore out an affidavit in Columbus in Lowndes County Court, which is housed in the county seat of Columbus. A warrant was then issued, and Smith was rearrested and held without bail in anticipation of the grand jury. The day of the trial, 100 men were called for the jury pool, a huge crowd gathered outside the courthouse hours before the jury selection was to even begin in order to jockey for seats. The jury was selected and instructions given. Then court was adjourned until 9 a.m. the next morning. Present at the beginning of the trial was E.A. Lawrence's mother and a sister who had arrived from Nashville. Lawyers began arguments and called witnesses, including Smith's own daughter, Estelle. The trial began with a description of the crime. Smith believed Laurent had sneaked in the Smith house and debauched his daughter. Smith had gone to the Artesia depot to fetch Estelle, and there he confronted Laurent, who denied all accusations. Smith first beat Laurent with his umbrella on the depot and then shot him three times. The first shot knocked him to the floor of the baggage room where Laurent lay prone on the floor begging for his life. Smith then shot Laurent two times in the back of the head, execution style, mortally wounding him. Smith announced he had killed a damn son of a bitch. The defense held that Smith suffered from paranoia at the time of the shooting and was not of sound mind. His daughter Estelle took the stand and testified that he often in the last year would sit before the fire and cry and talk to himself. She then read parts of letters from the three years she lived abroad in Europe and his constant reminders of her to be prudent and ladylike. Then the housekeeper, Miss Mercer, was called to the stand. Mr. Smith had allegedly told the housekeeper he thought Laurent and his daughter were having an affair. Miss Mercer tried to convince him he was not correct. She added, Mr. Smith believed he was doing right when he shot Mr. Laurent. 
One man testified Smith was not himself and that he saw him on horseback, having what appeared to be a lively conversation to someone who was not even there. A shopkeeper, Mr. Cochran, had seen the same strange behavior when Smith was in his store and noticed obvious mistakes in the books that Smith kept in his stores. Smith was known for his fastidious bookkeeping. Dr. McKinley, a local prominent physician, testified he had performed a minor surgery in Smith on Smith's adult daughter, Estelle, in early September of 1908. Smith demanded at the time to know if the surgery had been of a criminal operation. Dr. McKinley was taken aback and assured Smith nothing was wrong, and it was a routine operation, not an abortion, as Smith was implying. Smith then begged, Doctor, for God's sake, tell me something. I am with my daughter, right or wrong? McKinley told the courtroom, I believe the defendant to be suffering with paranoia. In the second day of testimony, Smith's niece, Emily Connell, a teacher at Barrow School in, in Columbus, stated she first noticed indifference in her uncle six or eight months previous to the event. She spoke of a visit from Smith and Estelle and how her uncle objected to his daughter or his niece seeing any young men at all. Smith's sister, Miss Dupree, shared her observation of changes in her brother starting about three years prior. He passed her on the streets of Artesia recently, and he appeared to neither notice nor recognize her. The Justice of the Peace in Artesia, Bob Mitchell, testified he had seen Smith near the depot after Laurent was murdered, and he asked Smith what happened. Smith allegedly responded, here I am. I've shot a man through a family manor. If he's not dead, I want to kill him. The Justice of the Peace then went in to see if the man was dead. Smith asked the justice to go with him to a phone to call Mr. Landrum in West Point, his attorney, to come to Artesia. And Estelle in Columbus, Estelle now home from Columbus, to tell her to keep quiet. The prosecution trotted out all the skeletons in the Smith family tree, as well as from his maternal McGee family line, where several cases of insanity was known to exist. W.L. Smith the former overseer for Charles Smith's plantation, Smith Oaks, said in all his years working for Mr. Smith, he did not remember ever having a crossword with his boss, not even over stolen hogs by a local man. Charles Smith's brother, B.L. Smith, was called to the stand and testified that up until his brother, Charles, had gotten hit in the head by a piece of timber and knocked unconscious. They had had no problems. That all changed after the accident. His brother then became angry and contentious without cause. B.L. Smith went on to say he felt something was not right internally with his brother. Charles Smith's brother, Penn Smith, testified that Charles indeed seemed insane. Later on the second day, Sheriff W.D. Prowell took the stand and testified that Smith seemed to be wrong in his mind regarding the killing of Lawrence. Dr. E.D. Bondurant, hired by the defense, testified that Smith's accusations against his daughter and Laurent were delusional and evidence of an unsound mind. He further stated the family's history of insanity furnished strong support for the insanity plea in the Smith's case. 
the superintendent of the asylum in Meridian responsible for the care of several of the Smith family's members testified along with other mental health experts that all of Smith's behaviors pointed to a diseased mind. They agreed that Smith suffered from paranoia, paranoid delusions, and he did not think he was doing wrong when he shot E.A. Lawrence. Dr. Gully from Meridian said every act or movement by E.A. Laurent was then misconstrued by Smith's paranoid mind. Gully felt Smith's illness would only get worse with time. Smith's daughter Estelle took the stand to attest nothing improper ever occurred between herself and Mr. Laurent and that she believed her father was insane. She cried, I am innocent of the sin which I am accused, but I am guilty of the murder of E.A. Laurent. She blamed herself for not warning him about her father and his delusions. At the end of her testimony, the day's proceedings concluded and Smith returned to his cell. Estelle went to the cell after court as she had done every day to visit with her father. On this occasion, he refused to receive anyone. He did eventually allow her in, and he was icy to Estelle, and he proclaimed, Estelle, I did not think you would do it. You and Mr. Laurent have betrayed me. You have been sold out. Estelle, Estelle is said to have responded, Papa, I told the truth. But her words were in vain, and he refused to speak any more to her, so she left. The case was sent to the jury, and Charles R. Smith was found guilty of the murder of E.A. Laurent and given a life sentence. His case was immediately set for appeal to the state Supreme Court based on his mental state by his team of attorneys. The jailers allowed his family, Estelle, and their housekeeper, Miss Mercer, to bring a few items from home and arrange his cell where he would remain awaiting appeal. The Laurent family immediately filed a civil lawsuit for damages totaling $50,000 before returning to their home in Nashville. Even after his conviction, Smith vehemently believed he was defending his daughter's honor in killing Laurent. On June 7, 1909, the Mississippi Supreme Court began to hear Smith's case. The court at that time consisted of only three members, Justices Smith and Mays, who upheld the lower court's rulings and believed Smith of sound mind at the time of the murder, and Justice Whitfield, a native of Lowndes County, where the murder occurred, whose opinion was that Smith was mentally unbalanced and had not been given a fair and impartial trial due to public sentiment and his mental illness. Execution of the mandate to send Smith to jail was initially deferred, but he was sent there. <clears throat> he was sent to, to jail, even due to the court's term adjournment, and his case would be in limbo for the next 90 days until the court resumed. He was returned to the state penitentiary to wait the next session of the Mississippi Supreme Court. To compound issues and to prevent the Laurent family from securing a, the $50,000 from their lawsuit, all of Smith's assets had been transferred to his daughter, Estelle. In November of 1909, the suit by the Laurent family was finally settled out of court for $10,000 cash by his mother, Mrs. Kate Laurent. Smith was not present as he was still incarcerated. His daughter and attorneys negotiated on his behalf. 
Smith was sent to Belmont Penitentiary, where he was made a trustee and placed in charge of the commissary, garden, and hogs and cattle. He introduced business methods into the management of these areas of the prison. He was said to keep to himself and be solemn and serious, but detail-oriented. He had no visitors at Belmont, and when there were visitors, disappeared into his work if anyone did show up. He turned the Belmont Garden into a fine truck patch, one of the best in the state, and raised more hogs in one year than Belmont had ever had before. In December of 1911, the E.A. Lawrence family petitioned the court to oppose Smith's proposed clemency order to move him from the pen to a mental hospital. In October of 1914, Smith was pardoned by Governor Brewer on the condition he would remain in the insane asylum of Mississippi for the remainder of his life or until judged competent and sane. The Laurent family once again was prepared to fight Smith's removal to a hospital. Smith was eventually sent to the East Mississippi Insane Hospital in Meridian as a result of his daughter's intervention with the governor. She wanted the stigma of his conviction removed as she was to become the Mrs. to become Mrs. Saunders Wilburn in Winona, Mississippi. By October 2015, after Brewer's clemency was granted, in a short time in Meridian of one year at the Insane Hospital, Smith was deemed sane and released, a move greatly questioned by the citizens of Lowndes County. Nothing much else is written about Charles R. Smith except his obituary in 1941, where he is age 86 and lauded as a pioneer planter and financier who died in a Meridian hospital. No mention of his imprisonment or his time in an asylum or the death of E.A. Lawrence. He had spent his latter years after leaving the asylum in, Colum in California before returning to Columbus at age 81. He's buried in lot 329 next to his daughter, Estelle, in Columbus's Friendship Cemetery. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Tom Bigby Tales. <music>